Again, my name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome home to episode 353. We were not lying all October. It is Trick or Treats with your Boo Crew. New shows in addition to our regular Tuesday release for the entire month. At time of recording this, we just literally walked in the door from a screening of Terrifier 2 over at the Burbank AMC. To see a movie like that in a packed theater in downtown Burbank, we cannot put into words. We are sure you listening, if you've had this experience, feel the exact same way. It is wonderful. The theater is definitely not where all the spooky action is this Halloween season. No, no, no. Discovery Plus and Travel Channel is in the midst of Ghost Over. Part of that program lineup includes some spectacular new shows from horror master Eli Roth, who joins us now for a conversation about Eli Roth Presents My Possessed Pet, available now and premiering on October 28th. The anthology series Urban Legend and capping off on Halloween night, he joins Zach Bagans for the Haunted Museum Three Ring Inferno, another remarkable story based on a haunted item at Zach's Museum in Vegas. We don't only talk about demonic horses and tarantulas and terrifying tales of modern folklore spun by exciting up-and-coming horror filmmakers but Eli's storied cinematic career bringing us the unforgettable nightmares that have changed the entire genre. We highlight some of our favorite moments, get into some of his. He loads you up with his watch list for Halloween and lets you in on a brand new Haunted House VR experience he is brewing, conjuring horror flicks with 50 Cent and so much more. Episode 353 with Eli Roth is now slaying. Hey, it's Eli Roth. You've accidentally downloaded another terrifying episode of Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew is one of the most impactful filmmakers in the genre. His work has been so significant and daring that it is not only continually reinventing the horror space, but has made an indelible mark on pop culture and cinema history. His debut feature, Cabin Fever, became an absolute event. I will never forget that drive from Canada across the border to Seattle some 20 years ago to experience the terror, boldness, and fun that resonated well after the lights came up. His unflinching camera, shocking viscera, and reverence to a legacy of the best of the best marred by this twisted sense of humor unique to him would change absolutely everything. He followed it up with the groundbreaking hostile films that created an entire new subgenre. 2013's The Green Inferno is an unsettling, chaotic masterpiece. There's the disturbingly playful thriller Knock Knock, a gory and wonderful return of the action classic Death Wish, and perhaps the best gateway horror film ever made, 2018's Brilliant, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. As an actor, his work is legendary. The Oscar-winning Inglorious Bastards, Death Proof, Aftershock, among dozens of roles. Throughout his success, though, he has never faltered on using his platform as one of horror's biggest advocates, not only shining a light on its past with his acclaimed history of horror TV series and podcasts, but on its future by consistently raising the creative voices of others, producing almost 50 projects for 
for film and TV. Each one is poignant and unforgettable as the last among them, South of Hell, Haunt, The Last Exorcism, Ty West's The Sacrament, and dozens more, all titles you recognize. The latest of which can be found in his recent partnership with the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus. Last year, giving us A Ghost Ruined My Life and The Haunted Museum. Ghostober is back again for 2022, and along with it comes the new shows My Possessed Pet, with episodes available now in the anthology series Urban Legend, premiering on October 28th, capping up with something very special on Halloween night. We are honored to welcome multi-award winning master of horror, Eli Roth. Yeah! Wow. I feel like that intro is so good. I just want to bottle it and end the podcast now because, man, this can only go downhill from here. That Jesus. is incorrect. You are incorrect, man. Can you write my epitaph? Because if I get knocked off, man, that's quite uh, a mouthful to put on, on your tombstone. So, well, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, always, always glad to be here and always glad. You know, to be talking horror. That's of my course, favorite subject. Of so. course. Well, thank you so much for spending time uh, with us today. And congrats on the incredible new projects. You certainly know how to keep our imagination satiated throughout spooky season and beyond. So first of all, just what is the what does the month of October typically look like for you besides watching Discovery Plus? <laughs> where where do you like to spend the Halloween season? And is there anything you always like to make sure is on your itinerary? Yeah, definitely. I love doing Halloween Horror Nights. That is always at the top of the list. Uh, I, I try to be there nice. for the opening night. Yeah. You know, I've designed a couple of mazes for them for a brief spell. I had a fun haunted house in Vegas called the Goratorium, which I tried to do year round, which is sort of insane now. But anyone who went there had a great time. Um, and I, I definitely do that. I try to hit up some Halloween parties. But honestly, my favorite thing to be shooting on my favorite things to be shooting. And I remember when we were shooting house of the clock and its walls, we were doing the vomiting pumpkins on Halloween. <laughs> so we had Jack black covered in fake puke and these evil pumpkins and Kate Blanchett and all the people in the neighborhood were like coming and going to costume parties. So the surrounding people watching, like they had like a little barricade cause we needed to keep the street clear for the camera, but it was all like goblins and ghouls and Beetlejuice. Like oh. it really felt like, and I remember on, on cabin fever, it was a similar thing where we were shooting on Halloween and everyone's like, aren't you sorry you're missing Halloween this year? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm getting to make a horror movie on Halloween. Yes. And even on death wish, I remember we were shooting and the crew members dressed up like the shine, like the Grady twins from the shining. I did like a slashed neck. It's just, so my favorite thing, if you can time it, but it's hard, you know, you, you have to time these things correctly, but that's my favorite thing is Halloween Horror Nights. But really, if I'm shooting a movie on Halloween, there's just nothing better. Yeah. Oh, man. I, you, you mentioned the Goratorium and just quickly, man, you were so far ahead of your time with the idea of a year round haunted house, because now all along the strip, it's horror themed escape rooms. And, you know, this this horror renaissance is kind of making it ripe for that kind of thing. Is that something that you'd ever want to get back into again, either a, a year round haunt or, or building another haunted attraction? of any kind well i like doing stuff that people haven't thought of yet and sometimes you're ahead of the curve sometimes you're behind the curve sometimes you're right there so you know i remember when we started crypt tv doing digital shorts people like you can't make a scary short it's not possible and then we did six second scare with vine and one minute shorts and, and people loved it i was like no you can do it it's just a different it's a different way of telling the story um you know in addition to these awesome discovery shows which i'm excited to talk about I just shot a VR project for Meta. No way. That's going to come out. Yeah, it's called Trick or Treat. It's going to be, you guys are like the first ones to hear about it, but it's insane. And it's like a 20 minute, it's like a short that'll be in, in Horizon Worlds. 
So I wanted to try shooting. I mean, I've, I've had a GoPro 360 for four years. So I shot hundreds of hours of just kind of VR on my own, just figuring it out. And I've been dying to do a full on horror VR haunted house that you really can only see in the headset. It's like a, you got to get the headset. You got to go to horizon. Like you got, and it's nuts. It's so much fun. So, you know, I, I have a lot of different ideas and different avenues for my creativity. I'm always trying to come up with something new and push the boundaries. And that was like, you know, I was looking at my dog every time I'd get up from the table, she would sit in my chair, put her arms, <laughs> a French bullet, put her side and then just like stare at me and then look, and then like, look at my computer. She behaves like a human. I've, I grew up a German shepherd, so I love dogs, but I've, this is like a person. And, you know, Aww. my wife and I were like, there is a dead child trapped inside her pet. And I thought, what if was pet possession real? Like, do you get someone to act like, what do you do when your pet's possessed? Like, how would you know that your pet is possessed by a demonic entity? So we put out the casting calls and it's like stories from the exorcist. It's amazing. These people were like, you know, we had our tarantula. Vincent was so friendly. And then one day we could tell that something had gotten inside him and his whole personality changed. And you're like, wait, your tarantula got possessed. And then they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, how do you know that an evil spirit? And they're like, because he started moving out of his cage. And then I had a horrible nightmare that spiders were crawling all over me. And we started seeing spiders everywhere. And then there was like a demon that was in our house haunting us. It's like, you know, the it's, it suddenly becomes a full on possession story. It's just the pet is the vessel, not the little girl. So one girl had her horse, two people had dogs. So you know, it's 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 not that the pet is like tied up in a bed vomiting. It's that the pet is acting. It's that the personality changes, and there's something totally different. And that this is your protector, and then they're growling at you, and they're acting weird, and they're just and like one guy with his dog, like the dog starts mind controlling him, and the guy basically becomes like the dog's slave. Like the stories are, not, and we have the real people, and we shoot reenactments. So. I was super, you know, I'm just interested in stuff. Like I had never seen that kind of story told before. And then, you know, urban legend, they, they said, Hey, you know, they don't want to continue the film series. Would you want to, you know, we saw how great haunted museum turned out. Like the, like we found these awesome directors, these amazing directors, Roxy, she cat Hostick, Justin Harding, Ethan Evans. I thought, why don't we just bring the same team over and shoot, you know, urban legend. And like, let's pick my favorite urban legends and just do anthology about it. And I'm also starting a thing called Filmmaker to Filmmaker, where right after the episode, I interview the director about it and about their fears and about making it. So it's almost like you'll watch the episode because because I think that where a lot of these episodes go wrong, you know, horror has its own rhythm. Like mm -hmm. paranormal activity has to be a certain length to be scary. If it's 10 seconds shorter or 10 seconds longer, it's not going to work. So. I said, you know, what makes where a lot of these shows run into trouble, if it's got to fill the time because of the commercials, I said, then it's not scary because you're adding in an extra seconds of filler to get to a scare and then you cut away. I was like, what if we just did it straight up? Like, this is the, the best version, whether it's 29 minutes or 34 minutes, it's terrifying. Then whatever extra time we need, it's just me interviewing the directors and the directors love it because, you know, it shines a light on them and people might not know who they are. You know, we have, Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan directed this amazing three ring Inferno, but I want people to watch the episode, see who the directors are and then go look at their other movies. Cause that's what I would do. I'd be like, Oh wow. Who's that director? What else have they done? So now we have a way to do that now with streaming and with linear on travel channel, they've let me do it. They're like, you can fill out the extra time with you. It's, it's like history, horror, history of horror, but with the people that are, you know, about to pop and that are kind of the next generation. So, you know, to answer your question, like I love, I love doing this kind of stuff. I love thinking of ideas. Some of them work, some of them don't, but it's all kind of an outlet for your creativity. I think where we went wrong in the Goratorium is that 
it's too labor intensive sure. that, you know, the genius of these escape rooms is the people go in and you just need to reset the room and supervise it. And there's like the, the gamekeeper. That's really it. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the genius of it. It's like having a museum. People can just walk through, whereas the goratorium required performers and required actors. So, you know, that's why I thought, well, let me try and do a version of the Goratorium in VR and see how people like it. Oh, my God. How far are we from seeing that uh, being made into a reality, do you think? Well, I mean, they haven't released. I mean, it'll be out in two weeks or something. Oh, they, wow. they haven't even picked a release date. They're, they want it out for Halloween, but they want people to go into Horizon Worlds and to the movie theater and and see it. It's going to be their Halloween event. They're probably like, wait, why are you even talking about it? And right. Discovery's like, I thought we were talking about <laughs> the shows we made. Yeah. We don't want it. Like, but it's like, they're two different things. Like in my mind, it's like you're sitting, you know, you're watching Discovery Plus, you're watching Travel Channel, and you also have a VR headset. And you're like, look at this insane thing. Vanessa Hudgens stars in it. Oh my Bill God. Sasser's in it. Oh, it's great. It's wow. amazing. Wow. So oh, fun. Dude, you never cease to surprise me. And, man. I, and I'm awesome. doing a making of in VR so that people will watch the short and then watch the making of. And then, like, I'm doing a three. I, I brought my 360 camera. I was like, why don't we just do a making of in 360? And, and I can talk about how different it is to direct with a VR camera versus directing traditional horror. Like what do you, it's a completely different medium. The way you stage shots, cause oh, I can't it's even 180 imagine. degrees and up and down. And like, you can watch this side of the screen and see other stuff and that, you know, like, so that's kind of the fun of it. Oh, wow. So you mentioned on like uh, on these shows, you're showcasing different up and coming horror directors. There's Sid uh, Zanferland's taking the helm and who's a Chilean Canadian horror filmmaker. And you mentioned Cat Hostick as well. Why is that support system and podium something that is important for you to be able to pass along to other creators with opportunities like you've built through Discovery Plus? I'll tell you. Growing up, I loved reading in Fangoria when you were like, wait, Joe Dante and Wes Craven and Steven Spielberg are friends. And you see Steven Spielberg in John Landis's movies. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And then when I made Cabin Fever and Mick Garris generously started throwing these masters of horror dinners, they invited me and Rich Kelly and Lucky McKee. And we're like, can we can you believe we're like sitting at dinner with David Cronenberg and Toby Hooper and John Carpenter. And they're all telling stories like this, this literal dinner table, cachet, like getting to ask them the questions about the makings of the movies and really kind of talk about the difficulties they had getting them released. Cause we're making stuff with uncomfortable subject matter. It's not an obvious home run. You need a studio that's going to go, all right, we might lose a lot of money, but we're putting this out there. Um, and they don't always test well. It's like horror can be, it seems obvious now, but at the time, you know, they were, they were going to put Hostel straight to video. And then Quentin came in and put his name on it. And they're like, okay. And they saw it with an audience. They're like, this is scoring really low, but people seem to be going crazy for it. So I don't know. Let's, let's see what happens. No one, ex we thought maybe it'll make 12 million at the most because you're doing them low cost. So I always believe in paying it forward. You know, I, I, I really appreciated when Peter Jackson gave me quotes for cabin fever. Cause that really helped the marketing of the movie. Uh, Robert Rodriguez was a big supporter and Tarantino putting his name on hostel and hostel Two really broaden that audience. So I loved it. And they were, you know, they were just doing it cause they wanted to support me. So I always found like, you know, like when John Watts made his kind of tribute fake trailer for clown, which I think premiered on bloody disgusting. Like Eli Roth made a clown movie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? And he said, direct my, I called him up and I was like, let's make this a real movie. He said, thank you for not suing me. I'm like, no, this is Hollywood. Let's wait until we make lots of money. Then we can sue each other. If I see you now, what's the point? Like, let's wait until we're successful and then we can all sue each other. That's how, so, That's how and you know, John's obviously hadn't gone on to have an amazing career. And you know, when you look at last exorcism, and Caleb Landry Jones is in that. You're also giving opportunities to actors. Ashley Bell, Last Exorcism 2, Damien Chazelle wrote that movie. 
he was a 25 year old math tutor when we hired him. He took that money and he made the short film of Whiplash and also Julia Garner's in it. Like, so they remember when they're actors and they get an indie movie and you get them a paycheck. I mean, even Knock Knock, you know, I wrote it for Lorenza Izzo and then we got Keanu, but Ana de Armas literally had, didn't speak a word of English. She had just wow, come off. Are you she, serious? She that just first... came off a plane from Spain and Colleen Camp ran into her and she's like, I found this girl. I think she'd be amazing. And, you know, we hired her. It was her first English language movie. It was her first American film. That was in 2014. And that's the movie that wow. Andrew Dominic saw to cast her in Blonde because there's like a lot of kind of Marilyn Monroe riffs that she does in the film. But it's so when you look back at your career, even Man with the Iron Fist, when we made it with RZA, it was his first movie. But we were casting Dave Batista, and everyone's like, he's a wrestler. He's a wrestler. And we're like, no, Dave's a brilliant actor. Like you guys don't know it, but what's coming with Dave Batista? Like this guy's incredible. And Dave is like, I only want to play bad guys. I'm never going to be the good guy. In the like, and then, you know, so they cast him as Drax because they liked him in man with the iron fist. So what's great about doing these films is even if they're not like big box office hits, some of them are, some of them aren't, you feel like you've been a part of someone's history in their career mm-hmm. that you were there at the beginning and I was able to use my voice and go, that's the guy or that's the girl or I believe in them. And without that, I think they would have gotten there eventually in other ways. Of course, they're incredibly talented people, but there is something in knowing when everyone else is like, no, you need to put a star in that role. You need a name. And you're like, mm, this person's way more interesting. I think this person's going to be a star. And 10 years from now, people are going to look back and go, yeah, that was the right move casting, you know. You look like a genius for picking that person, but really you just kind of, when you're making these low budget movies, you know, knock, knock. I mean, the whole below the line on the movie was 3 million and hostels, 3 million or 3.8 cabin fever was a million, million and a half. So last exorcism was a million. Like when you're, when you're doing stuff, you can kind of find new talent, new directors. And that's, what's exciting to me. That's what, that's the lifeblood of cinema is new talent. You know, I think that people get, if I was the only one making movies, people would be bored because I'm going to make the same movie over and over, whether I try to or not. Like there's that theory that every director is just making the same movie over and yeah. over and over. And I <laughs> believe that that's because I'll totally think it's completely different. And then I'll look back and I'm like, mm, I just did the same thing I did that because that's what you like. That's your taste. So when you find a director, also like Kat Hostick's a great example. You know, she did um, half the series of Ghost Room in My Life, which is sort of recreation and documentary. But I could tell she really, you know, was great at narrative. And she came in and nailed her episodes on Urban Legend are so scary. She did the haunted shower and creep in the walls. And you're like, wow, she's ready. Like now let's either find more anthology or find a feature film for cats. So like you can see them like, okay, how are they working with actors? How are they working with actors on a low budget? And the actors in the shows are non-union because they're low budget. Mm. So the great thing about non-union and horror is you find these amazing discoveries like these these awesome gems of like theater actors or new actors or new talent. They're kind of fresh faces. So you can just totally get into the story and let the scare be front and center. And that's what excites me. I love it. I love when you, you know, Roxy, she came in, she's on, she did uh Haunted museum. She's on Haunted museum, but also Justin Harding and Ethan Evans and these really terrific directors. I mean, Adam McDonald came in and did the season finale of Haunted museum and Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan coming in. So a lot of people will do it because they love it, but it's just like, what can you do on a five day shoot on a 10 day shoot with nine union actors and low budget? Like how clever can you be? That's really where you kind of cut your teeth on this stuff. That's where you, 
say, all right, I know how to make a scare. You're forced to drop all the kind of bullshit shots you don't want to do. And you're like, what is important in the scene? Okay. I can get this in a one or this is my, I can do this or no, no, no. I really need to focus on the scare. And the shows turned out terrifying and they never sacrificed in quality. And, you know, discovery and travel channel were amazing. Like my possessed pet, urban legend haunted museum. They let me go nuts. They're like, you dictate the amount of gore the show needs. Like, I think there's no set recipe. It's like every story has its own kind of gore quotient. Mm -hmm. It's like paranormal activity is terrifying, but it's not a gory story. The green inferno doesn't work without the viscera. That's Mm -hmm. part of it is watching people get ripped apart and eaten up. So (laughs) if you don't deliver on that, and I always think I was like, I should have done more. I should have gone further. I don't know know how further you could have gone on. It breaks my heart. I should have had to rip the throat. (laughs) It's like, damn it. I blew it. Like I I look at that. I was like, I blew it. I blew it. So, you know, and I think a lot of directors do that. They just watch their, you know, they sometimes they watch it. Like, but it's funny now. I went to a screening of Cabin Fever. They screened it at the Museum of Modern Art, which I thought was oh, funny. Amazing. It's like you stick around long enough, suddenly you become a modern artist. You're back then, <laughs> Installation. Like, how do you, yeah, like, you're like, oh, you're, it's artsy now. Um, but they were running it on 35 and just walking in the theater and seeing the, the light go through the celluloid. And most people had, were seeing it for the first time. It was great. It's, it's old enough that people can now. They've heard about it, but they're watching it for the first time. They got to see it in a theater and it just brought the fucking house down. People went crazy and there's blood puking. And I was like, my God, this movie is so weird. And then, you know, knock, knock, I made a 35 print that we're going to show on October 9th on the Sunday at the new Beverly. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and I watched the print again. I was like, Jesus, this movie's bananas. This is a bonkers, batshit, crazy movie. And I'm so happy I did it. I wouldn't make that movie now. But me at that age, at that moment in time in 2014, that's I like had to get that out of my system. So it is great that look to have any kind of success in one's own lifetime is a blessing. And I certainly don't take it lightly. And and I just look that, you know, the more people that I can help, I want to support people that I think work really hard and deserve that break. Cause I remember, you know, I spent years and years and years on my own trying to get people to pay attention to me and no one would. But once I made the film, I had that support. So I try to find people that I see a lot of myself in them and they have the drive and the determination, you know, Gigi Guerrero is a great example. The Sasuke sisters, even if I'm not producing their stuff, I can either do shorts with them or like, you know, help them in the edit or like just, you know, be there for them as a sounding board for advice because it's very Quentin was like that for me. It's like very difficult to navigate Hollywood. Once you have success, where do you go? Who do you trust? What do you do? Is this normal for this to, for you to be happening on a film? And I can go like, Oh no, this is crazy. Or yeah, I know that's like, yeah, this is what happens. You got to tap dance your way around. Like we've all been through it. So, you know, it's a very, I directing is a very lonely profession, weirdly. Mm-hmm because you have to tell no to everybody and you have to tell everyone else their ideas are bad sure. and you have to go, this is how we're doing it. And then you're there on the movie, you know, the actors come in for two months or two weeks, then they're gone on to 10 other things, but you're there for a year and a half. You know, you're writing it, you're there in prep, you're there in shooting, you're in post, you're doing press. So the time they come back to it, they're like, God, remember when we did this? That was like freshman year. That was like years ago. And I'm like, I'm still in it every day. Like to me, this was last week. So, you know, we call it movie time. Like when you're shooting, like time just has no perspective, but that's my favorite thing, you know, and, and look, I got to, because of COVID the first season, I couldn't be on the sets, but this year I got to go and travel and be there with the directors and be on the sets and watch some shooting. And 
I, I, you know, I just had a blast. Like the, the truth is I just love it. Like I just have, and, and turning the shows into podcasts, you know, we're like, we had all these great interviews for goes through my life. We're like, why don't we turn this into audio? Not everyone's going to have travel channel or discovery mm-hmm. plus, but this yeah. breaks it outside of that. And so every show we do, whether it's goes through my life or urban legend, you know, my possessed pet, we're figuring out the, what is the podcast component that we can do to produce with a show. So, uh, and then I can do, uh, all right, let me do filmmaker to filmmaker. Let me just interview all these directors and then put those interviews out because it's just what I like doing. I just like talking about movies and scares and shots and it's fun when they pull it off. I'm like, how the hell did you do that? So it's cool to hear everyone's process. I, I, you can always learn, you know, Justin Harding is like, Oh, I build every set in frame forge. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I have frame forge. And I sit here and I just look at the room and I was like, <laughs> so in the VR thing, I'm like, Hey man, can you just frame forge? Like, can you build the neighborhood? Cause I, I had, I didn't know how I was going to move the camera because you, if you move it wrong, you get dizzy. So he built all the houses for me. He did all the, built all the characters in. He, he like fully did a version of it in previous for me, oh, which wow. took him, you know, like I couldn't believe it. He's like, oh, I do this for all my scenes. I put the, I build it in frame forge. I put the camera there. I figure out the lenses and I play around with the shots until I have the scene. Right. So when I show up, I was like, yeah, your stuff looks, it's like, has this perfectionist quality in the best way. It looks so perfectly executed because he just, I wouldn't think to do that. I like him much more. I know kind of know what I want to do, but let me just go and work it out with the actors and figure, you know, I'm, I'm obviously 20 years down the road of directing. It's a different, different place, but Justin's right at the beginning. He wants to like have all the shots and have it all boarded. So I, you know, and, and Kat Hostick, she's great. She was an actor. She's an actor too. So she's like, I was pushed from an actor's perspective, but I'm always looking for the oneer. Like, I love a great oneer. Like if I can design it in one shot, how do I do it? Like, those are my, that's like what excites her. So every show she's like, where's that one? But she also likes doing the scares and focusing on the acting and the intensity of the performance. So it's just a different, uh, you know, I can always learn Roxy. She has her own process. It's just fun to talk to other directors and kind of see how they do it. No one really knows. There's no right answer. The Boo Crew will be right back. Even a man who is pure at heart and goes abroad by night can become a wolf in this day and age and plunge a city into fright. It's from the director of Animal House, but it's a whole different kind of animal. Take it from Wolfman Jack. You don't want to miss an American werewolf in London. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. Yeah, actually, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see Ethan Evans directed Urban Legends, The White Dress episode. Full disclaimer, he's a friend of mine, and both him and Jess Bartlett are exciting up-and-coming horror filmmakers to watch. Uh, For an episode like this, how much input or direction did you have to give Ethan up for the story, or did he have free reign to bring the Urban Legend story of The White Dress to life on his own? Oh, well, you know, some of the stories you can fill a half hour and others you're going to make up you know, different versions of it. But I look, I trust Ethan and Jess. I like, you know, I, I really, really like, love, love that team. They're amazing. There's, they're so, so unbelievably talented. I thought, you know, Ethan's Haunted Museum episodes were so good. And, you know, he's very prepared and he like shot lists everything and storyboards everything. He's like a nut for storyboarding. So it was fun again to sit down and talk to him and interview him about how he did it. But I'm very involved in, you know, picking the urban legends. I go, okay, these are, you know, the eight, the 10, these are like the top 13. These are my top 10. These are the backups because like, 
I, you know, I want to do the scuba diver in the tree. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to figure it out. When people are walking, there's a scuba diver in the tree, and it was the guy who's scuba diving, gets scooped up from the lake and dropped in a fire. And I was like, I just want to see that. I want to see scuba diver in the tree. It might be nuts, maybe, we'll, but you know, we had a really terrific. It, it turned out great. So the white dress is the classic one with the girl putting on the dress, and it's haunted. Um, the embalmer took it from a girl. It's that you know the spirit of her is in it. It's like it's like one of the classic urban legends, and. Um, you know, I, I'll read the treatment. I'll pick the idea. I'll read their treatment. I'll read the script and I'll really give my notes. Like, I think you're repeating this scare. I think you're missing a moment here. Make sure you really hold on that because this is a really good scare. Um, or I think we need to get to like this, this dialogue feels a little false. It feels like we're not, we're not really doing our homework here. I want, I want the mortician's got to sound like a real, go and talk to a mortician so we can really kind of get the verbiage a little bit more. So it doesn't fit. So you're like, okay. And they're great. They're good. They're like totally down to do it because I'll be kind of looking at it as a perspective of a spectator, but also they trust me and you know, they know I want it to be great. So then they'll do it. And then I look at every cut, like I'll watch it and I'll give notes. And I'm like, I would hang on this shot for 10 more seconds. I think you're giving away the scare here by, you know, like, you, like Ethan loves zooms. I was like, you, you've gone zoom crazy. Like I can't, I feel like your love of zoom is taking, you know, and he's like, okay, you're right. I'll cut that out. I'm like, I want to feel the tension when I feel the zoom and I want it to be scary. But if you do too many of them, you're losing the effect. Cause you love them. He's like, I'm like, I love them too. And he's like, okay, that's a great note. Like I actually have a version of that without the zoom and we can cut here. And, and so, you know, just, but like th they trust me and I trust them and there's no lying. We're not like sugarcoating stuff, but it's all done with respect. But I think that, you know, Ethan, I think there's such talented filmmakers already that, you know, I, you know, I, I want to help make their episodes better, but not make it my voice. If Got that it. makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yes. And we were, so yeah, I'd mentioned we were talking to Justin Harding, uh, last ghost over, who was working on at the time, what would become the haunted museum. And I believe the first episode he was working Dawes. on and yeah, scripting and, and, and everything, not only the first episode of that season, but the first scripted series that discovery plus I believe had yeah. ever done. So yeah. like take us a little bit from like what it was like then to how these shows have evolved into urban legend and my possessed pet. Like what, how much well, more cinematic did they, did they get? Cause I'm noticing like the run times are longer. There's even more involved and more, even more yeah. creativity involved. Well, right? it, you know, first there was, look, they hadn't done this. So there were concerns about gore, but a ghost through in my life, and the Haunted Museum were like in the top five. They were winning every weekend that they were on the Friday and Saturday night. And obviously Zach Baggins is an amazing force and brings his audience and is like owns travel channel. He's incredible. Um, but you could tell that they were driving subscriptions that they were in the top, you know, the top shows driving people to sign up for the service. Sure. So they're like, okay, this is serious. Like Ghosttober, like we got to build this out. Is there more stuff where they're making an overall deal with Zach and they're like, is there more stuff from Eli? I'm like, yeah, I have my possessed pet. And then with Urban Legend in December, it came to me and I called and I said, look, I think Netflix is doing this Guillermo del Toro thing. A lot of this big streamers don't want to do anthology. I said to the rights owners, I was like, if you're willing to do it at a little bit of a lower price, I can have it on the air in October. And I think it can run for 10 years. And then if any of the stories are great, we can do breakout individual movies. If like this one story is like, oh, we should do go farther into that. So they let us, you know, they gave us a little bit more money. Um, but really they said, we didn't want to do too much more because I want them to get renewed. And I know that like, 
David Zaslav, who took it over, is really about kind of cost per hour. And I want to keep them kind of lean and mean and, you know, keep ourselves in check and just keep the, if we can keep the price down and the quality high, then we'll get to make more and just keep doing it. But they, but what's great is they really trusted me and like really go, they're like, go farther with the scares, go farther with the gore. Like, don't, don't hold back. Like the red room is a really violent episode. <laughs> it is. You yeah. know, they're not. And I, and I said, we need different types of stories. Like we don't, you know, the scuba diver in the tree is like, horrible survival horror like pain like falling through a tree branch through the stomach kind of stuff but you know pulling it out sewing it up like it's that like kind of awful rambo kind of violence where you're trying to just survive this forest fire in a scuba outfit um but that's what i thought it's like if you're in a forest fire you'd have the oxygen tank so there's like a time limit like if you can get out of there before your tank runs out that's the hook it's yeah. like i want to see how close can he get to getting out of there and climb, you know, there's a ranger tower. If he can get to there and climb up and signal for help before his oxygen runs out, then they can get saved. But of course he's, you found him in the tree. So you know, he's not going to make it, but that's the fun of it is how is, how's he going to get there? So, um, you know, they, they've been really great. Also, we planned, you know, kind of social stuff. They started in Eli Roth presents Instagram and TikTok, which I encourage everyone to go follow. Um, so they want to do like a whole and, and we don't know what this sort of new merger of HBO Max Discovery Plus is going to be. But they're talking about like having a button where you can just have all the Eli Roth presents shows. They, they know that, look, it's like any studio. Look at New Line, look at Universal, you know, horror built those studios mm -hmm. and they know they can see the results. I mean, whether you're spending millions of dollars on a show or you're doing some ghost hunting thing is still the same amount of eyeballs. You know, people, people are watching it. So I try to do stuff that's fun and that's great. And that's different. And that gives new directors an opportunity to show their chops. Um, and they've been incredibly supportive. They're really cool. Like I love working with them and, and they trust me. There, there hasn't been like a creative battle of like, well, we know better or this doesn't work or that's going too far. It's like, can you do this on time and on budget? And yeah, we trust you all right, if you want to do that episode, all right, we don't see it, but obviously you do, so go for it. Oh, we love it. And it culminates in this very special two-hour edition of Haunted Museum on Halloween night, the Three Ring Inferno. So what can you tell it, us? That's crazy. That, that yeah, tells it's, like, it. it's terrifying. Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan, I mean, we, we said with you know Haunted Museum, we weren't going to have the series ready until January, to air, but we thought, you know, we don't want Halloween to go by without a haunted museum episode. And Zach, it was actually Zach Baggins has like, I have a story on this circus fire. And this is like these people, this was, was oh, it's a true story. He's got like a piece of the tent and you know, the burned souls and all the people, these clowns, all these people that burned to death in this horrible, horrible fire that burned out of control. And you know, I have a story idea of how to like tell this into a haunted object with the kid who steals it, you know, at a flea market and sets it up in his house and goes in. And like, we made this really, really scary episode. I mean, it's really disturbing and freaky and weird. And, and, um, it's perfect. It's perfect for Halloween. It's, and, and we want people to be, stay excited about the haunted museum. You know, like what's good is we can, you know, you have the benefit in season two of seeing what worked in season one. And like with Ghost Room in My Life, if we had 20 stories submitted for season one, we had 500 to 1,000 submitted for season two. So you could really pick the best ones and different varieties. We don't want to do the same type of show over and over. And same thing with Haunt, you know, with Haunted Museum, Zach has a thousand objects, but we could watch, oh, the equipment worked really well. Oh, yeah, the dollhouse was great. 
this other one was a big idea, but yeah, it worked. It worked. Okay. That's period was tougher, but if it's contained like the steam McQueen statue, I love that. Like you could kind of get a sense of what types of ones were like, you know, the Dybbuk box, like terrifying. Mm. Like that's what we want is objects that will be like absolutely terrifying. Like the way you see like the conjuring kind of stuff like that hardcore, straight up terrifying kind of supernatural haunted stuff. We love it. So, um, you know, we can, we can point to earlier episodes. A lot of the directors were able to come back, you know, Roxy Sheen and Justin Harding. So, you know, it's, it's fun. Like people watch the show and they go, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that. And generally people making the show have a great experience making it. Um, but it's fun. Jason LaPere is fantastic. Did a lot of the ghost ruin my life. He came on and he did a block on uh, urban legends. That was fantastic. He did, uh, he did uh, the classic kidney stolen, you know, when you wake up and your kidney's <laughs> yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. One. Yes. And when I interviewed him, we talked about like, how do we do it? And like, and we talked about, he's really funny. Cause he's like, okay, I want to do it, but I don't want to do the bathtub full of ice. I was like, but isn't that part of it? He's like, he's like, no, it's broken. He's like the kidneys on ice. He goes, why would you take out someone's kidney and put them in a bathtub full of ice? Like, what? He goes, why would you do that? First of all, they wake up. Second of all, like, what they would die of hypothermia in 20 minutes. Like you would die in a bathtub full of ice unconscious. Like, and you're, I'm like, you're totally right. So we interview it and we talk about it right away. I was like, okay, first thing, everyone's gonna be wondering about the bathtub full of ice. He's like, but think about that. It's like, it's, he goes, it's the kidney that's in the ice box. And, but through the years of people telling it, they're like, yeah, they cut out the organ. He woke up, he was in a bathtub full of ice. You're like, you wouldn't wake up in a bathtub full of ice. You would die. And why would they be so courteous? They're like, oh, we're going to steal your organ but let's just make sure you have a pleasant recovery and put you in a bathtub full of ice. So it's, <laughs> right. it's funny. He had his own take and I was like, that's great. And he came with, you know, with a fantastic right. story, a really, really great thing of the guy trying to get it back. Like you have 48 hours before your blood gets infected. Like there's a clock of like, if you can pay the money and get the thing, we'll put it back. But if not, you know, like it's, it's, you know, uh, it's really fun. I it's love like the show is great because what I love about urban legends is they're just absurd enough but they could actually be real. Like the scuba diver in the tree, you're like, that's crazy, but it could, it could happen if they were scooping and doing the, the, what's called the Bambi basket from like, I guess, you know what? It's not crazy. That could happen. Weird things happen. So that's the zone we try to do. There's like scary ones and a no way. Well, all right. Well, I just want to see how that would, how would that play out if that happened to you? So (laughs) it's really, uh, it's, it's a really fun show and, you know, discovery plus, Travel Channel, they've been amazing. They're like letting me do kind of whatever I want. And I'm just coming up with weird ideas. And I call them and they go, yeah, let's go do it. And there's, I got to give a shout out to Cream Productions in Toronto. They're this amazing production company. And, um, you know, they have such a great, great team in place and they love the shows. And they, they had all these relationships with these directors, some other things. And we just pull them in and we just, you know, it's like we're running a whole kind of studio with all these shows now. It's just keep shooting episode after episode so much fun oh are there any stories of any of these sets being haunted well on ghost room my life the rule is if any haunting's happening we've got to film it so you know uh in season two you definitely have lights flickering and you definitely like there was one where like out of nowhere the camera broke like a camera that has never broken and we go to the house and the woman's like i'm telling you the house, the, 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 the spirit's still here and your electronics are going to break 
and it breaks. Oh. And that's not like us pushing the button because they call me from the set. They're like, guess what happened today? Oh. The camera broke. <laughs> and then they couldn't find anything wrong with it. And then it's, they have to get another camera. And then it worked again the next day. Like that kind of stuff happens. So no one has been attacked. I mean, when I was shooting the VR project in the, in this place, the Ashmar estate, which is a haunted house, they've shot, apparently it's three ghosts there and they're friendly. Everyone was like, we, we come in peace. We go, we we were filming and at one point a glass like a glass object fell off a shelf and the actors turned around we thought that someone had backed up into a shelf and they're like no we were just standing here that i'm like no one was banging no no thing fell off the shelf. I'm like okay all right that's the go we know you're here we got it we're out of here tomorrow don't worry like you just get comfortable with like not fighting it not arguing it but anything like that that happens, we always try to get it on camera. Always. Of course. Yeah, just, Justin Harding was yeah. saying when he was editing the, the Demon House episode for Haunted Museum, stuff was falling off his walls in the edit at his house. Justin did such a great episode of Demon House, and yeah. I saw that Warner Brothers is doing like a 65 million version of this. Of a- <laughs> of a, oh, wow. Yeah, of the same, of the same uh, story. <laughs> so I'm really curious, will Justin Harding be scarier than the huge $60 million right. <laughs> Me, Daniels, Warner Brothers movie. The one that Justin shot in five days yeah, for nothing. Exactly. I'm going to say yes. Curious. I'm going to say yeah, yes. I like that we did it first, though. I was like, uh, Demon of House. Of course, of course. Have you been You've been yeah. to the museum at this point, I would assume? No, I, I, I'm wow. actually going to go this year. I hadn't gone because of COVID. Yeah. And then I was in uh, Budapest, so I, I hadn't. I actually hadn't been to the museum. Um, and then Zach has been kind of traveling with Ghost Adventures. But yeah, that was something that we've been planning on doing is kind of me going there. We want to shoot it when I go there. Oh. But now I'm free. I want to see Charles Manson's television. I'm like afraid of getting near that stuff. Yeah, dude, it sounds Now that I know the objects and now that I've seen the episodes, yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I want to take that risk. <laughs> so I, I like this stuff, right? but I don't want it following exactly. me back to my that's, house. That's the thing I'm afraid of, too. The stuff yeah. following you home. Literally. Let Zach hang out with it. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, he develops like do. a ghost tolerance. You <laughs> yeah. know, like whatever his ghost antibodies are, they're way higher than mine. Yeah. As we come to the end here, so we've got this VR project you're talking about and Ghost Ober's on the way. And then I hear there's a new collaboration that was just announced with 50 Cent. Oh, yeah. Well, those have been around for a while. It's, yeah, 50 Cent wanted to do some horror movies. So we found three writers. Uh, we're going to put filmmakers on the movies. Uh, we've been developing the scripts. We went three different, because 50 wanted to do a horror movie. He wanted to do it with me or like us producing it. And then he's like, I don't want to do one. We got to do three. If we're going to do it, we have to do three of them. I'm like, okay. So we developed three different, three different movies um, with different scripts. And we're going to get directors on them and, and go make them. I know 50s like I'm announcing it. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, sure. I mean, I like, I tend to like quietly. I used to be at the beginning of where I we couldn't shut up about stuff. <laughs> sure. Now I've learned it's probably better to wait until it's like a week before it's coming out. Yeah. To announce it. Cause <laughs> you knows what can happen. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, 50s great. He's like, he's super cool and really like, trust me. And, so we're finding, uh, you know, again, like writers that he worked with on his shows that had horror ideas and other people and producer Dallas Jackson had an idea that he had taken to Crypt TV that we're going to do with Crypt. So it's going to be three films. We want to do like three really good, scary, low budget, down and dirty movies. Oh, we can't wait. And all right. <sighs> so spooky awesome. season, everybody's putting together their watch lists. Uh, it's on Instagram everywhere. I'm so curious. We'll, we'll keep it the number three. Three movies that aren't yours or, or on Discovery Plus that you guarantee will scare the shit out of someone for the Halloween season. Three. Three movies. Oh, that are like absolutely 
I mean, I saw that someone's putting out the video versions of Juan. Oh, Grudge. wow. And Juan 1 and Juan 2. I think Arrow's putting them out. Those are nice. like harrowing. Those are so scary. And, and I haven't seen it, so no spoilers, please. I'm, I'm really excited to see Smile. Uh, and I, I loved Parker Finn's short film and I just have been so busy in the editing of VR. I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone or read anything. I just want to like go to a theater by myself. That's the best way to do it. Um, yes, the best way yeah. to do it. But yeah, there's, uh, you know, and then there's a Conrad Veidt film. It's been compared to the man who, the man who laughed, which is a very scary film, but I love, um, you know, I like the classics. I like Haxon, witchcraft through the ages or Va- Carl Dreyer's vampire, the really old, old creepy 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 ones on halloween the early cabinet of dr caligari robert ryan like those early 1920s mm. german expressionist or the benjamin christensen those films they're so beautiful and they so they're like they're really they're really bizarre and weird elias marriage made a movie called begotten the guy who did shadow of the vampire yeah. where he recreated that look of one of those films and it's super violent and weird and gory and strange those are like fun ones to seek out. If you've kind of seen everything and you want something that's totally like a different kind of change of pace, kind of horror, you know, like you go with Haxon Vampire, Caligari, Cabinet Dr. Caligari, um, and then Begotten. But if you wanted something that's just like shot on video and it, cause these are the films that he, that, you know, Shimizu shot on video <clears throat> and they were like these television specials that were for, 45 or 50 minutes called Grudge One and Grudge Two. And then he remade them on 35 millimeter as Juan one, Juan two, and then he remade them in English as Grudge One. It's like the guy is we we'll talk about a filmmaker making the same movie over and over. He literally made the same movie six times. <laughs> but, but they are. I mean, they even use music from Sixth Sense, yeah. some of that uh terrific score. Um, but it is uh it's it's terrifying. It's so disturbing. The kid and the cat and they're <laughs> like <laughs> what the, the, the jaw and Kana and the jaw. Yeah. It's like the stuff and then the girl like that, which he said came from his girlfriend getting mad at him. I love that. He's like, when they get in an argument, she just in their eyes and he's like, it traumatized him so much. It's like, you know, Robert David Mitchell having the dream of it follows that there's always a thing coming at him yes. that he can't, you know, he can't escape. It's got to keep going. So it's like, you know, we all, we all have these things, you know, and like Jordan Peele on history of horror when I interviewed him said he had this thing with his mom where he, she would go, mommy isn't here now, Jordan. Like if he was bad and did something oh wrong, like, so who's mommy? And I was like, that's like, get out. It's like, he's like, oh my God, wow. you're right. I'm like, because your mom did that thing to you. You made the movie about yeah. it. Like it's just all this weird stuff that kind of got us as kids. Um, and I should also say my shark documentary, Finn, is on Discovery Plus, which I highly encourage you to watch because sharks are getting absolutely massacred and we need everyone speaking up for them. Or they're all going to be gone. Not on the, they won't be the populations will be able to recover within ten years. We're, we're killing. I think now it's up to two hundred and fifty million a year. I heard with the vaccines. Oh my god, so bad. Damn. And it's all like it's all a lie. It's this horrible industry of death. It's everyone's just making money off dead sharks. Anyone who tells you that sharks are fine, any they are lying. The fishing industry is lying. It's like the tobacco industry. It is all lies. It is an industry of death. And because I don't make money from sharks, I can say it. And I researched it for five years. I was out there on the open seas, on these boats. The whole thing is just people killing sharks for nothing. It's all fake science. There's plant equivalent of what you get in the liver oil. It's really sad. So sharks need our help. 
Everybody I don't want to end on a bummer. No, note, no, yeah. no, no. I love, love, I love it. Yeah, everybody go watch Finn. Yeah. I have not seen this. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to yes. definitely check it Thank out. You. I mean, uh, look, I love Jaws and I love scary shark movies, but there's got to be some counterbalance, yeah. you know, because people yeah. are just kind of OK with them getting killed because of the horror. It's yeah. not that the horror kills the sharks. It's that everyone just sort of goes, oh, well, yeah, sharks want to eat us. They're which vilified, is, yeah. Right. Um, last note I want to end on Fave moments from some of your films for us um, Lewis seeing the house for the first time In House of the Clock and its Walls uh, We will go to poor Magda <laughs> Finding out she's eating out of her girlfriend's skin bowl yeah. <laughs> In Green Inferno The bloodbath scene yeah. in Hostel 2, Hostel 2 yeah. The finger bang scene from Cabin Fever yeah. I'm wondering out of your films Is there a moment for you that has stuck with you all these years? Wow. You know, there is a moment when you're like, you know, like with poor Heather Monterazzo upside down and like, oh, yes. just like and the crew, the crew is oh, just looking yeah. at you like going, well, I was, <laughs> I thought it seemed like a good idea. Like, sorry. Like it's cause Heather's such a good actor. Yeah. Like, Don't blame me. Yeah. She's such a good actor. Yeah. And she wanted to do the movie because of that scene. So it was, you know, that's like, wow, that really was like one of the set pieces that came together. Also, Jonah's death with Aaron Burns and Green Inferno, mm. where you're, they're just the nicest guy. You're just maiming him and putting him in an oven. And, you know, there are those moments of satisfaction, like when Kirby slits her throat in Green Inferno, we had one shot. We're in 110 degree heat in the Amazon. And we have the guys, the tube, and she has to break the bulb, put it to her neck oh. and slit the prosthetic. And the guys have to be like pumping it. But if the tube bent but it gave this huge splurge in the right. Like you're like, oh, it's like a sex scene. It was amazing. Like <laughs> it, is amazing. it and it was so like when yeah. it, when it pulled out or like that whole scene, when all the, the natives are coming over the hill and there's hundreds of the girls and the kids in the canoes. And it, it just suddenly goes from being like this adventure film to this like Mondo documentary with the, like, it feels like the movie has been taken over like by like wild, insane people. Like, like you've lost the movie to savages or something like yeah. it's just crazy. But then of course you realize that the, you know, the students are much worse and the people in the village are just chilling. So I, I always like that. It's, it's really fun, you know, in, in, um, in knock, knock, there's like kind of the first, there's like a whole sequence where we call it the musical chair sequence where the, the girls keep like trying to seduce Steve and keeps moving from chair to chair and they keep following him. I love that. There's just, it's just fun when stuff kind of comes together or people, you know, the deer hitting cabin fever, which mm -hmm. was ridiculous. Like there's just moments that you, the harmonica stuff that you think is so stupid. No one will go for it. And then you do it and people love it and they're laughing and they're right there with you. That's what I like. Yeah. That, that's those pancakes. The pancakes. Pancakes is one. Definitely <laughs> running over the girls in hostel with a car, yeah. you know, getting the finger, like all that kind of stuff, the choking on the vomit and the chains. I mean, just, you know, the, the Achilles heel split when he falls forward. It's just, there's certain things that I don't know. You, you, I couldn't explain why I did it now, but at the time I was like, I have to do this. This is going to be great. You know? And it's sort of seems obvious in retrospect, but at the time it's like, anytime you're making some people are like, are you sure you should be doing that? Or like, you're not allowed to do that. Or there's something like, this is too much. No one's going to accept this. This is like not okay. Which is every one of my scripts, people read it and go, Wait, I don't think mm, that's how I know it's if it's in that zone where you're like, are we supposed to be doing this? That's when that's the zone I love to live in. Oh, do you keep the answer is nice. no, you shouldn't have, yeah. you know, it's but like well, a lot of times when it does work, it's like, you know, Thanksgiving, the trampoline. That was that yeah. was the best example. People were just like, you can't do this or the gun joke in cabin fever. People were like, you can't do this. I'm like, 
that's what's it's like i heard howard stern he's like if you would think if you're not supposed to say that he would say it i was like well if you're not supposed to do it guess who's gonna film it front and center i'll take like i, I don't care i'll be that guy that everyone gets mad at i think it's funny <laughs> do you keep any of your props or costumes from your films yeah some of them you know it starts to become like a thing like i have the helmet from hostel oh cool oh, gosh i mean a lot of stuff you know nice. you see what's around my wife's like at a certain point she's like we can't live in the eli roth museum like it's it's all you know <laughs> i had to like put a lot of it in the attic you know i'll keep a couple yeah. i'll keep a couple of little things here and there i used to be obsessive about that stuff and then it just like sits in a box and i was like you know what let's someone else like i have the the chair from hostel was in a museum in seattle for a long time so I got that back now, but it's just like tied up in storage, bundled up. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do a display somewhere. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'll, you I, have I, to. I want to do it. Maybe the Mystic Museum. I'll put some stuff. You know, I, I I like having the stuff out. I like, you know, it's fun for me to have it, but I don't need to, you know, be a collector of my own stuff. Mm -hmm. I just like I, I put it in the movie. I did it. It's fun. But you know what? If like other people like the movie and they want to like see it and have fun with it, that I'd prefer that. Well, Eli, dude, thank you so much for your time. We, we've taken enough yes, of it. Thank you yes. so much for hanging with us. And we are yeah. thrilled about the experiences you have in store for us uh, uh, for Ghost Over on Discovery Plus. And as always, we cannot wait to see what you do next, man. Guys, it was a pleasure. We'll do this again. Thanks so much for the support. I appreciate it. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 353. What an honor to host special guest Eli Roth. Eli Roth presents My Possessed Pet, available now and premiering on October 28th, the anthology series Urban Legend. And on Halloween night, he joins Zach Bagans for the Haunted Museum Three Ring Inferno, all on Discovery Plus and Travel Channel. Production tracks for this episode provided by the good folks at Powerman 5000. Till next time on behalf of myself trevor lauren and leo it's the boot crew saying sweet screams be back sooner than you possibly could want thank you for spending part of your season with us we can't tell you how much we appreciate it thanks for listening to another episode of the boo crew podcast haunt the boo crew at tales from the tales from the boo crew on facebook and instagram follow us on twitter at tales from the boo the boo crew is lauren and trevor shams and leone d'antonio the boo crew is produced by lauren shams chopped and sliced by trevor shams the boo crew is a tsp creation part of the bloody disgusting podcast network bye a bloody disgusting podcast network home of the boo crew horror centric interviews scp archives weekly full cast storytelling horror queers genre commentary from an lgtbq perspective and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts